Hello and welcome to the CS Ed Podcast, a podcast where we talk about teaching computer science with computer science educators. For context, we're recording this episode on September 21st, 2020, so potentially some of the things we talk about will feel dated by the time you listen to this. May the future, though, when this podcast is released, be better than our present. With the disruption of COVID-19 and the latest calls for change in education due to racial inequality, this season's theme is where should we go from here? In hopes we can all take a pause and ask ourselves, if I had time to reflect rather than react, what should I be doing? I am your host, Kristen Stevens-Martinez, an assistant professor of the practice at Duke University, and joining me today is Manuel Perez-Quinones, a professor at the Department of Software and Information Systems at University of North Carolina at Charlotte. So he's just down the road from Duke University, though we were recording in our respective closets today. <laughs> so Manuel, tell us about yourself. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing okay. Uh, it's kind of odd to be recording inside of a closet, but I'm doing fine. Thank you. I'm a professor in uh, the software information systems at UNC Charlotte. I've been here, this is my sixth year. Before that, I was at Virginia Tech for 15 years. And before that, for four years at the University of Puerto Rico, Mayagüez. Um, I teach mostly, I teach in the two extremes of the CS curriculum. I like to teach intro courses, either the intro or media comp or data structures. And then I've taught a lot of HCI senior level or graduate courses in, in HCI. And uh, I have um, probably the reason why you asked me here, I have a lot of experience running programs for diversity. At one point, I was associate dean of the Graduate School of Virginia Tech in charge of an office of diversity initiatives. And then I've also was involved in a lot of CS broadening participation activities. So the coolest and interesting fact, the coolest job I've ever had I was visiting professor at the U.S. Naval Academy, and the students in there, when you walk into the classroom, they all stand to attention. Uh, it's kind of cool. And then they just stay standing until you say, you may be seated, and then the class commences. So it was kind of odd. I had fun, though. It was a fun experience. Oh, that's good. So as you hinted in your introduction, our topic is supporting students of color and we're going to have a moment of preaching to the crowd where the first question I want you to talk about is how is supporting students of color not disadvantaging white students? Because I feel that a lot of people, when they first hear about this idea of supporting students of color or whatever name you want to use, they often then think of it in terms of, oh, so you're going to make it worse off for the students that don't fall in that category. So how is that not disadvantaging the students that don't fall in the category of the students you want to support? Yeah, that that that's a uh, that's a good caveat because I think you're you're absolutely right. People automatically they assume two things. One is you're taking away from the others, or you're giving something for free to the students of color. So I'm I'm gonna give you a couple of things. One is supporting one group does not mean ignoring the other. Uh, but the reality is that we're not supporting students of color just because of their color or their skin or or something like that. We're supporting students of color uh, because of sort of systemic discrimination that they face. So let me let me sort of enumerate these things. Um, we're supporting students who come from a high school that was underfunded. If you come from a high school that was underfunded, there were fewer classes available, no AP courses and things of that sort. We're supporting students who come, uh, who don't see themselves in the profession, right? Um, mm -hmm. There's few professors that look like them. We're supporting students who are, so few in your program that networking and mentoring 
And even just emotional support is not there because there's only two of them in the whole program. Um, we're supporting students that that by nature of their socioeconomic, they have to work part-time or they have to have two jobs or they have home responsibilities. They're the ones that pick up their siblings from school and things of that sort. Uh, we're supporting students who face explicit discrimination and aggressions, whether it's physical, microaggressions, et cetera. And we're supporting students from different cultural models. There, there's a there's a theory that talks about different models of culture, collectivistic versus individualistics and power mm -hmm. distance and things like that. Mm -hmm. The reality is all of those things that I told you, unfortunately, are proxies for students of color. The two go hand in hand. And that's why I mentioned that it's because of systemic discrimination. And we're only doing this not because we want to give them anything free. We're doing this to level the playing field. We're, we're doing this because they have fewer opportunities to succeed given the history before they come into the classroom than other students. So if you're white and you're in some of those categories, you'll benefit from what we have to do to support you. But the reality is that the majority of students that face those conditions that I mentioned are students of color. Hmm. So I think the gut reaction to a response like that actually would be something along the lines of like, well, then why don't we actually find the students that fit all of those categories and not use the students of color as a proxy? Because we're pretending that color doesn't have a hand in this, right? <laughs> the reason why all of these students that are disadvantaged are disadvantaged is because they live in neighborhoods of color, because they face discrimination because of that. But when they come to the classroom, right, I guess I guess the reason why I make the caveat is when they come to the classroom, I don't want professors to think, oh, you're black or you're Latino, therefore you're not X. And mm -hmm. I want them to think, oh, you're black or Latino. You might have been coming from a background that puts you at a disadvantage. I don't want them to think that there's something intrinsic in their biology that says, well, you're just not as good as the others. Mm. That, that's, that's sort of the caveat. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's a lot of universities that are talking about uh, increasing support for first-generation students. Mm. And, and again, that's highly correlated with Black and Latinos, yeah. but it's not necessarily the case. And depending, uh, we're close enough to, to Appalachia, and, and that area has a lot of low socioeconomic first-generation white students that face some of the same similar issues. There's a, I don't know if this is related to that or not, but there's a similar thing that I've, I've commented. I mean, a lot of, a lot of professors look at students from the view of when they were students. When I was a student, I used to do this. The, the way I've started explaining it to professors uh, is you are an NBA player. You have no business telling a 17 year old how to dunk a ball because you, you're, you're at the top of the top. You're at the professional leagues. You're in a professional team. If you're really good, you might even be an all-star NBA player. You can't expect them to do the way you did it. You can't. It's just not, it's not a fair comparison. So you got to get off your high horse and think, what would it help you to do it this way? Rather than say, when I was a student, yeah, no, you, no, no, you're not the model. I mean, we, we only question support for students of color, but we don't question it when we're talking about gender. And and to me, that is a sign that we move forward. I'm sure 20 years ago, we were questioning supporting women in a different way. Um, 
So you ha we have CRAW, NCWIT, Anita Borg, you know, all these organizations that that are providing support for women and, and it's okay. We don't fight it. I mean, there's still a little bit of pushback, but but I would like us to get to the point where we have a similar level of support at the high level for all the other students that are disenfranchised in computing without saying, well, how is that fair? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, there's still people that say that when we have, I, we, we run programs for women in my college and I've heard people complaining, what are you doing that for me? Um, but it's not as prevalent as it is when we're talking about students of color. We need to level the playing field. That That's the way we should think about it. And because of systemic discrimination in society, some groups come in with less preparation to succeed. Doesn't mean they're not capable. It just means that they haven't had the same opportunities. All right. And I think that leads to maybe finishing out that thought of why is this so important? Yeah, I mean, that that's at the heart of it, right? It's, it's the difference between equality and equity, right? I think we make the mistake too often of saying, well, I treat everybody the same way. But everybody's not the same. You, I mean, it's it's thinking that because I give the same assignments to everybody and the same due date and and I grade them all, you know, blindly, not knowing who submitted it and all that, everything is equal for everybody. Well, it isn't if they came with, you know, uh, uh, a lack of preparation because of no fault of their own. It has nothing to do with intellectual ability. It has nothing to do with effort, intention. It has to do with the fact that my high school had no CS class or my high school had only up till algebra or, you know, whatever. So you, you don't have the background and we can't, if we want to broaden participation, we can't just assume that before they show up at our door, everything is equal because we know it is not. So we have to sort of find a way to provide that scaffolding to make it uh, um, a little bit more um, fair. You know, it's the difference between equality and equity. Uh, the other thing is, is, I mean, there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of privilege that happens in a lot of all these things, right? Um, when I was at Virginia Tech, we we used to have a lot of students that came from a really fancy school in Northern Virginia that had four years of computer science in the high school. Four years. I, needless to say, those kids showed up and they, they I mean, they, they would engage me in conversations in the freshman year that I wasn't comfortable having, you know? Because it's like, yeah, last time I looked at that was when I was an undergrad. That was 30 years ago. I don't want to talk about that now. They they were that strong, prepared, lots of experience. I, I, you know, I felt bad for them because sometimes they would be a little bit bored and I would engage them in conversation. Well, you want to try this other thing to sort of keep them engaged? But there's no way I could teach my class thinking everybody was like them. And we had, mm -hmm. I don't know, 10 to 15 from that high school every year. So they, it was a significant mass. It wasn't one kid that was good. It was like a large number. And and you compare that to the kid that came from a you know poor neighborhood that never saw a computer science class before. And they're in the same class. And that that's not that's not equal. That's not fair. So we, I mean, that's why it's important. We have to find, we have to find a way to that. The, the other reason is computing is a really lucrative career. 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if, if we are to close the economic inequality and to improve social mobility and all these things that we talk about, computing careers is one way of doing that. And, and you know, if, if we're keeping people out for the same reasons that keep inequality in society, economic inequality, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we're, we're part of the problem. I mean, we, yeah. we literally are part of the problem. We, it, you know, it's not us computer science professors, it's not our fault that high schools are underfunded and are in the problems that they face. But if we let that be a reason for us not to bring other people in, we're, we're just passing the problem to somewhere else. The last reason, which um, before the pandemic and before the social unrest usually was the first reason I used to give, but now it's less uh the last reason is we're we're building products we i mean the computing field is building products for other people to use mm-hmm. and if we don't bring in uh the diverse population that reflects society we're building products that is not going to take into consideration things there was there was a tweet yesterday of somebody saying that one of these online platforms with virtual backgrounds doesn't work as well if you're black. And yeah, it's like, I saw that Twitter feed, Twitter it, thread. It, it, you know, it's like, oh my God, you mean to tell me that all the time that it probably took to develop that algorithm, you never, not once put a black face in front of it? I mean, it, it's the rest of the world that <laughs> that bland and white that you never tested this with one person and you get to the point of releasing the product and they go like, oh, crap, look at that. I mean, th- that's pretty scary, you know? And it's not the first time this has happened. Uh, th- there's, this has happened before with some of the online photo things that auto-classify people and, and th- this keeps happening. And we're seeing it now with COVID, right? We, we're seeing how COVID is attacking uh, uh, Black and Latino communities harder. Mm-hmm. And and we automatically just think, well, it's because they're poor, or it's because this, or it's because the other. But not thinking that maybe, maybe in medicine, we're not quite where we should be understanding symptoms that there might be differences. I don't know if there are or not. Mm-hmm. And and there's a good rationale for this because, you know, we, a lot of, I mean, we do this in computer science education too. A lot of the experiments we run, we run them in our classrooms or in our universities or in, and again, the population there is not reflective of the whole society. So we're missing details in, in, in how we run, how we do science sometimes, you know, that if there isn't a good argument in, from the, the sort of social justice and equity point of view, there's certainly a good argument for building better products for society. So, Yeah. That's definitely one thing that, that frustrates me about products because like a, another example are things like products that are geared towards women. And then you look at it and you're like, I don't think there was a woman on the team <laughs> when they developed this thing. Here's another part of that. This connects several of the conversations we've had already. I mean, a lot of times uh, when we're talking about women in computing, the the one or two or three or four females in our departments that are professors, um, I I often tell them like, you know, you survived this mess. <laughs> you you are not normal. You're above average. You're like, there's a reason why you're still here, even though the system is stacked against you. So 
I'm glad we'll use you as a role model, but let's find out what we need to do to support the other ones because you're a champion. You're better than most of the men here because that's why you survived in it. Sometimes we say, well, we talk to the women in the department. It's like, yeah, those are superstars. <laughs> None of the f- professors are a representative sample of anyone. No, no. And much less those of us. I mean, I, I get asked so many times about Latinos and immigration. I'm like, okay, I've never immigrated. I'm Puerto Rican. I was born a U.S. citizen. So I have nothing to say about that. I know I'm Hispanic. I'm not a Latino, but I can't comment on that. I mean, I can only comment on that as just as anybody else that reads the news. And sometimes we just use the few of us as you know, talk to your people and tell me what your people think. I, I don't call <laughs> Latinos at night. You know, it's it's, it's, it's nonsense. But we, we only have one or two in our departments. And in our social circle, sometimes we get none. So that's it. You know, the only Black person I know is a professor down the hallway. That person is more like me than all the other Blacks in the society. Because he's a yeah. professor, got a PhD, he's in computer science. There's probably more in common among us in a computer science department than us with our own old circles, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we we, we need to do better. So with, with that in mind, <laughs> how do we do better? <laughs> like, how do we do better is a very broad question. So let's let's go at it with a first, the the bigger picture of the the mindset that we should have when we approach this problem rather than going into the nitty gritty. Yeah. And and that's one that I'm in the last, I don't know, four or five years, I've been changing a lot uh, mm-hmm. how I think of it. I, I think, um, you know, just again, just because of the training that we've gone through, I, I used to think of, uh, you know, strict deadlines and, you know, I give everybody the same opportunity and, and it sort of realized that's part of this uh, fixed mindset. Mm-hmm. There is not growth mindset. I mean, um, th- there are things that our students don't have that put them at a disadvantage. And I have to think about how I give them an opportunity for them to grow rather than give them an opportunity that because of their background, they're already disadvantaged and I'm not opening the opportunities for them. So, so, um, so I think, I think a lot of things about, um, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm testing this crazy thing out this semester. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm doing what's called specification grading. And and I, I have sort of explored it a little bit and it made sense for me to try it given my class is completely online, Mm -hmm. given COVID, given the social unrest, given all these things, I thought this makes sense for me right now. I don't know if I would have tried it a year ago. I don't even know if I would do it in person. But uh, the idea of specification grading is that I'm going to set up all my assignments have satisfactory or unsatisfactory. Okay. And satisfactory means you've done an honest effort to get it. It's not A, B, C, or D. Mm-hmm. So it's probably lower than an A, fairly lower. And it also means that I'm going to give students multiple attempts and trying to get it to satisfactory. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm removing this idea that, you know, by Friday at five o'clock when this is due, if you don't get it, you don't get to get it ever. Mm-hmm. No, I'm going to give you a deadline so that, you know, you have to work on it a certain time. But I'm going to give you a week or two to get it. 
And because we're online and because I'm using a lot of auto graders, makes sense. I can just say this homework is due on Friday. You get an extra week to get it in. You get multiple attempts. If you get stuck, call me. I'm here. I have office hours. I'll walk you through the problem. And each assignment has multiple problems. And each problem you can submit individually multiple times. So they have plenty of times to sort of get to a point where it crosses the satisfactory bar without worried about, oh, my God, I'm going to get an F because I didn't hit 15% or whatever. So, so and then at the end of the semester, um, your grade is determined by how many of these you completed. Not by the score. How many of these did you get to the satisfactory level? So there's an incentive of, of counting how many assignments I get to satisfactory, not a punishment or reward about my actual score on each assignment. So you could, I mean, my, my uh, drill and practice activities, the satisfactory bar is 80%. Okay. You get to 80%, you're satisfactory. You're good. And you need to do eight of those. And I think I have 10 in the semester. And then I also have programming assignments. I also have exams and all that. So the idea is, you know, I can, from the get-go, I can work really hard at multiple times. I don't have a fixed deadline. I can take a little extra to each of them get to 80%. And if I'm, if I'm driven, I'll try to get to 100, but it doesn't matter. Once you get to 80%, it's satisfactory. You've done enough. Um, so I'm, I, there's a lot of literature around grading for equity, and this is an idea that sort of came out of that community, and I really like it. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see what it will happen at the end of the semester. What I suspect will happen, and this is my hypothesis here, is that the A students will get an A no matter what, mm-hmm. but the students that were on the lower end of passing, you know, the C's and the D's would go up. So I I suspect that the number of C's and D's will decrease and the number of B's will increase. That's that's what I'm expecting to happen. So, but I mean, I think the idea is that you need to go into the classroom trying to encourage a growth, growth mentality on the students, trying to encourage the students to work a little harder and move forward rather than saying, well, if you don't get it, you don't get it. I don't have time to help you. Um, and I think we do that way too much. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, there's been a lot of people that have said because of the increasing enrollment that they're worried that this is what it will translate to, that that will just get really, really picky in the grading and say, I've got 150, I can do good with 80 and the rest, they're on their own. Mm-hmm. So let's see if I if I understand this correctly. You have 10 s- sets of problems and the students can hammer at these problems all semester, even if they wanted to. And their goal basically is to pass 80% of the problems in each problem set? Uh, Yes. So I have drill practice problems, which are, uh, you know, write a function that counts how many even numbers are in an array, that type of level, right? And Mm -hmm. each one of those assignments has five to eight problems. And I have 10 of those assignments. They need to get eight of those 10 to get an A in the class. If they do, I think it's seven, they get a B. If they do six, they get a C. If they do, I don't remember, five, they're in a D. And now 
for the A in the class, they have to get that. They also have three programming assignments and they got to do 80% in all the programming assignments. Mm -hmm. uh, they have two midterms and a final. The final is optional. And if you take the final, it will replace one of the two midterms. Hmm. For the A, you got to get a 90% average on the exams. Mm -hmm. um, and there is another assignment that I do in my class. It's, I call it a tech note. And it's sort of like writing a readme for a technology. And, and they have to write like a two-page, you know, this is what's cool about this technology. And then they have to give a five-minute presentation. And there's two of those in the semester. But the video, they only have to do one of the two to get an A. So, so the A is defined, they call them bundles. The A is a bundle of, you got to do eight of the workouts. You got to do all three programming assignments. You got to do 90 average on the exams. Mm -hmm. You got two out of three sh shots at it. And you got to do all the tech note assignments. The B is a fewer counts on the bundle. Mm -hmm. So instead of eight assignments, you do seven and so forth. Each of them is still at the satisfactory level uh, across. It's just fewer number. Um, mm. So, so in a way, you're encouraging more practice because you still have to get to eighty percent. But, but you're also acknowledging that if you don't do as many, then you got a lower grade. One of the advantages of this approach is that it's easier to grade because you don't have to grade to take points. You have to grade just to see if it's satisfactory or not. Mm -hmm. And if it's not, you highlight what needs to be improved and then they submit again. Mm -hmm. So you reduce grading because of all the assignments that look fine, they look fine. And all the ones that look just horrible, they're not satisfactory and you send them back. Mm -hmm. So you're not grading for nitpicking, you know, two points minus this, two points minus that, which is where mm -hmm. a lot of time takes. So this this very much reminds me of the the book Grading for Equity by Joe Feldman, which mm -hmm. is going to be a different episode of this season. Um, and it sounds like you've adapted a bunch of the practices that he talks about in his book. And one of them is such as like you're you're trying to make the letter grades actually mean the student has an A level of mastery or a B level of mastery. And rather than using the kind of flawed mathematics of you have X number of points and there are Y possible, so X divided by Y, that's what you get as your grade. Right. You're disconnecting that by having these criteria of like, if you want an A level, you need to do these particular things. If you want a B level, you need these particular things that kind of demonstrate that you've only mastered a B level of this material. Right. And, and it encouraged them to multiple attempts, right? And it, it yeah. removes this idea. I mean, I've always been frustrated with deadlines uh, uh, as a professor because it, I, it doesn't matter what deadline I put for an assignment. Invariably, I get busy with something and then I don't grade it for two days. Mm -hmm. And I always felt guilty. It's like, why did I ask him to turn this in by 5 p.m. on Monday if mm -hmm. I wasn't going to look at it till Thursday? Uh, you know, it's like, why, why am I making them be busy? And then I just sit back and do nothing. That that always bugged me. And this removes that uh -huh. because the deadline is irrelevant. It's like, it, you know, you can submit it and keep working on it and submit it again. My gut reaction to your statement is that, well, you want to provide students with a reliable cadence to the class so they don't feel stressed by wondering when is the due date for this thing. Oh, absolutely. By the way, I have due dates for everything. And there is, there is a, um, I think I've set them up to be like a week later. Uh, after that point, it's late. 
So, so, and the only reason why I have due dates is for them not to try to do them all the week before the final. There's no late penalty. It's, it's all, you know, you, you got to work on this a little bit every day to survive the semester. You can't just put it off for two weeks and then come back. Hence the deadlines and the due dates. The other aspect of the due dates is, um, for example, the first programming assignment that I'm about to throw at them later this week. Well, you should have done the workouts that came before because the knowledge sort of it's related. So the due date is sort of trying to connect those things in 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 a calendar, particularly for an online class where you know there's no meeting; it's completely asynchronous. So, do you explain that method behind the madness to the students? I have a like a half hour video of the first day. Welcome to class. Going over that, yes. Would you be willing to make that kind of video available to, to anyone? <laughs> I guess so. I didn't record it thinking of uh, divs being broadly available, but <laughs> what I have basically is is um, it's me walking over this portion of the syllabus that explains the grading and just sort of, you know, going over the write-up and marking it. I think I was marking it with a pen and just talking, say, if you do this, if you do that, if you you get an A, this, and I have a little table that shows it. I, I, I could probably make that available. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I think generally it would be useful, I think, for more of us to share the method behind the madness of our syllabus. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. So once it's, after the due date and it's late, but there's no late penalty. Could they potentially like this first one, they they get to they don't get to 80%, but then they move on. And then half of the semester they're like, oh, I think I actually could get an A in this class. So they go back and get to 80% on that thing. Can they still do that? Um, I um I when is this podcast gonna come out? <laughs> it's, it, it doesn't come out until next semester. So don't okay, worry. so so, uh, sorry, students. I uh, wish and I, I'm willing to discuss it, but the reality is that they're so the 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 workouts they're ten and they need to do eight to get mm-hmm. an A. So even if you have one that doesn't get eighty percent, you still got two more that you could throw away. So so they. There should be less of a, I want to go back and redo the first one to see if I get it to 80%. And there should be more of, if I keep practicing regularly, I should be hitting 80% in all of them. And there shouldn't be a reason because you can drop two. So so I, I'm I'm hoping that that won't be the case. But I, I, I've always told students this, look, I don't mind if you woke up halfway through the semester and became very responsible and did fantastically the rest of the semester. I don't mind going back and saying, yeah, you weren't here at the beginning. I'll give you a break on something because I, I, it, it demonstrates that they're doing better. I, I have little sympathy for the one that is pulling a 60 on everything throughout the semester and shows up saying, can I get extra assignment? No, no, the, the regular assignments, you haven't done any honest effort. Why would I give you extra? But if, if their score is going up, if they sort of caught on late or live through them a curve at the beginning of the semester and they're doing better at the end, I have no problem accommodating because I, you know, life happens outside of the classroom. All right. I want to be careful of time. What suggestions do you have for something we can do right now, what we can try and accomplish in a year and what we should try to be accomplishing in five years? So right now, um, number one grading, 
I think we need to do grading in a way that supports growth mentality. Um, that means rewrites, more flexible deadlines, all the things that we just talked about. I think, mm-hmm. I think we 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 pretend too much that students have nothing else happening in the world but my class, mm-hmm. and and they have all the time in the world to devote to my class. Yeah, and that's just not the reality, particularly for students of color. I mean, again, if you hear what we said at the beginning of what the 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 high correlation is between the communities of color low socioeconomic, multiple jobs, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so that's first. Uh, I, the, the second thing I would say is we need to increase student support. I think I think we've, we've accepted that we need student orgs for women, but mm-hmm. we haven't quite accepted that we need student orgs for uh, students of color, minorities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, computing is actually late on that. I mean, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, Nesby for African Americans in engineering, SHIP for Hispanics in engineering, and mm-hmm. we don't w- quite have the equivalent. There's a lot of efforts and things in place, but so consider being more flexible in tutoring tutoring hours. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of places are doing this with women. They hiring the upper level women to be tutors and mentors to the younger uh, women in the program. Mm-hmm. Uh, why aren't we doing that with Black and Latinos too? I mean, it, a lot of these things we we need to increase the support for, particularly for the students of color. I mean, and and the good news is that we know how to do this because we've been doing it for women for a few years. Mm-hmm. Let, but the bad news is that we're somehow gong shy if we do that for Black or Latinos. It's like you did it for gender. Why can't you do it for race and ethnicity? Um, yeah. The the other one, and I, I wish I had a solution to this one, is we need to make faculty be more comfortable talking about these issues. Uh, our our faculty in computing, and it, probably not the case for computer science education, like you mentioned at the beginning, but in general, a lot of them are really just really uncomfortable addressing these issues. That discomfort, I think we all need to get past that. And the only way to get past it is to do it. Yep. All right. What about from a year from now? One thing that I've been saying a lot lately is that we need to use data. We we, we talk about data-driven decisions and data this, data that, data the other. And I think we're hiding some things with data. I think I think we're using data in the wrong way. I think we we look, I mean, I've heard this so many times in, in running diversity activities. Oh, make sure you collect data so we know if that one works, we'll repeat it next year. I'm going, no. I mean, I can collect data on an event to see if it worked correctly, but it's not going to solve diversity or discrimination on one event. It's not, that mm. does not, that's not how it works. So you have to use data to identify problems, not data to congratulate yourself. I think we need to use data. We need to do more climate surveys. We need to identify what is it that is blocking our students from succeeding rather than saying, I had a seminar. People liked it. The data shows that. That 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 does nothing because um, it doesn't break down the problems you have. So, I, I, I mean, I think we need to start collecting data to identify problems, not to congratulate ourselves that we're doing the right thing. Um, mm. It's too easy to ask, did you like that? And you're like, yeah, that was good. Out of politeness, you say that. Yeah. But the problem is still there, you know? Um, mm-hmm. 
And I think, I mean, this is very typical to debugging, right? You don't, you don't do debugging to prove that the program is correct. You do debugging to identify the problem. Mm. Just because you couldn't catch the problem, that doesn't mean the program is correct. But you still got to do the testing to try to find the problem. That's the way we should be using data. Let's find where the discrimination happens in your department, in your classes, in your clubs, and go after those problems and fix it. And that 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 takes a while to start collecting that data, to start thinking of data that way. Um, the other thing that that I think, and I don't know that this is a year, but but within a year we should start thinking of this alternative path. A lot of people are saying that the idea of a pipeline is the wrong metaphor. Um, oh. That instead of saying you start, you know, in middle school and then at the other end you become a professor and along the way we lose people, it mm-hmm. it's wrong because it. What if in middle school you never heard of a computer, but in high school you got excited about it? That the pipeline mentality sort of loses that, and and I think you need to think of alternative pathways instead of pipeline. Meaning. I went to a high school. I didn't have calculus, but I really like computers. Can mm-hmm. I study computer science? Well, that's going to be really hard because you're going to have to take this math and this other thing. And that just, that's a roadblock. That's assuming that before you got to college, you were already in the pipeline to come to college. Or, mm-hmm. or people that got a degree in whatever discipline and then couldn't find a job and then go, Oh, look, there's lots of job in computer science. Let me go study computer science now. Mm-hmm. That That's a person that coming into computer science, it's going to struggle. There's got to be a way that you can say, I just want computer science light because I have an accounting background. I mean, this is the idea of CS plus X that we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. We We need to think of what those alternative paths are. And we're doing more of that. I think data science is forcing us to do that because data science has so much of other things mm-hmm. that they look like a CS light in some way. Yeah. They're not a CS degree, but they're they're very tightly connected to computer science, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think we're starting to consider that. I think we need to do more of that, of having those alternatives. And we can't put them in place in a year, but we need to start thinking deeply about what that is so that you know, your next question is in future years, we can start creating more programs that consider those things. Yeah. All right. So let's let's go with our last part. TLDL, too long, didn't listen. What would you say is the most important thing you'd want our listeners to get out of our conversation? So um, see if I can summarize this. Um, when it comes to students of color, I think you cannot ignore their history. I think you cannot ignore the history of of their background, their schooling, their communities. Um, I don't think you can ignore the history that they've had in this country. I don't think you can ignore what's happening on the streets today. So, so the first thing is is you you got to consider that their success in the classroom is not just about intellectual ability. But it's a bunch of other other things that that are normally an uphill battle for them. And you need to find a way to say, yeah, those two things are tightly connected. So I know that's that's sort of really difficult for a lot of people, particularly in computing. I don't think we think of social 
well, that's not fair. People in HCI like me or in education do think about these things. But mm-hmm. um, the other thing is, um, I, I, I think we need to come to terms with the fact that computer science is very, very interdisciplinary. It's, it's not the old computer science where the heart of it was theoretical computation. I think there are a lot of parts of the field that have to do with other things uh, more applied, and and somehow those areas tend to attract more people mm-hmm. or more diverse people. I still don't quite understand why that's the case. And as a matter of fact, every time I say it, I cringe. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I think I think we need to think that computing is is much more bigger than than what we think it was, and that means change the courses, change the approaches, change the type of degrees. I. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the last one is, um, and this is so obvious that I don't know it needs to be said. I, I see us education as a collaborative effort. Education is not about us deciding what we teach. It's not about a curriculum that ACM gave us that that that's what needs to be in this class. It's a collaboration with the learner. I mean, in education they have this set of theories of learner centered pedagogy. I think we need to embrace that. We need to say. This is a collaboration between what I want to teach, what the student wants to learn, or what the student doesn't know that needs to learn, and the curriculum somehow. And somewhere, if you really want to want to make a difference, you got to take all three into consideration. It can't we can't assume. Well, you have to have. I mean, I, I pick on calculus all the time because it's the one that our students sometimes uh, struggle with. Mm-hmm. You, you can't just wash your hands and say, well, if you can't pass calculus, you can't be a computer scientist. You know, that that, that that's not exactly 100% accurate. Mm. Maybe you can't have some types of jobs in computer science, but you could be a web developer without calculus. Mm. And and that, that collaborative effort is what would define new paths through a CS curriculum that will probably help make up the, the 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 problems from high school or the problems from outside as they interact with our curriculum. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for so much for joining us, Manuel. Happy to do it. This was fun. And this was the CSED podcast hosted by me, Kristen Stevens-Martinez at Duke University, produced by Amarachi Anakoronye. And remember, teaching computer science is more than just knowing computer science. And I hope you found something useful for your teaching today.